Welcome to another episode of BSing with Sean K. I'm your host, Sean Neese. And for today's episode, episode 79, I'm going to play a conversation I had with Soph or Sophie Claire of uh, Mixed Present, which is a page on Instagram uh, that like highlights the experiences of. Uh, multiracial people, mixed race people, uh, and she posts a lot on that, um, and she also posts on her main Instagram account, like, a lot of, uh, political topics and everything, and, uh, really, uh, what I like to do on the show is I just like to have long-form, uh, interviews or conversations with people, I mean, I interview a lot of artists, bloggers, uh, I guess you could call her a blogger or activist, too, um, and I just like to really have long form uh, conversations with people to get to the core of who they are and just really bring them out. And we got into a really in-depth conversation about race, identity. Um, she talked about her heritage. I talked about my heritage. And we also talked about politics, uh, economics, like having how you have a meaningful conversation with people you disagree with. And we just got into a lot of very interesting things. And uh, I don't want to give too much more away because I feel like that it would just be redundant because a lot of it's said in the interview. So without further delay, here it is. And I hope you enjoy it. So it's Sophie Claire K talking to Sean K. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but I only just—I usually just go by so. Are you co-founded this page, Mixed Presence? So actually, I was brought on to Mixed Presence. So I'm really good friends with this guy, the guy who who it used to be his personal page. His name's Greg. Him and I are like best friends. He is like the male version of me, essentially. Um, so I get—he was running it with like his sister and somebody else. Her name's Anna. And, um, so they just reached out to me and were like, Hey, we want to do like an interview with you. They didn't say for, for what or anything. And I was like, yeah, cool. Why not? They were a mixed page. Um, they saw that I was very, you know, vocal about my opinions on, you know, a lot of social justice issues on, you know, a lot of political issues and things like that. So, um, we ended up having, he called me and we ended up having like a three hour conversation on like, it was like a three hour interview essentially. And then he asked me to join the page. And so I've been with the page for a couple of years now. I think I, it's so hard because I can't remember when I actually joined them. And I feel like I've been doing it my whole life. So, so you're the mixed presence, like an Instagram thing, man. Cause there was that article you sent me that was about you and your, Oh project. yeah. That was from, that was just a project I was featured in. It's called mixed race faces. That's their Instagram handle. Um, they're based out of London and they basically just do, they have our, their own website as well. But they basically just do features on mixed people and they ask you a bunch of questions and kind of put it all together. Um, kind of 
about just like, how do you identify, you know, what's your religion? If you have any, um, you know, uh, what's your like sexual orientation? They ask you like a bunch of questions like that. And they ask you questions about what are questions that you get asked that you don't like to be asked or, um, you know, what are vivid memories that you have when you were younger, maybe experiencing racism or having to realize that you were mixed or they ask a lot of questions like that, just a lot of identity questions. And I think that that's one of the biggest topics for the mixed community because we, we don't have very much representation. And when we do have representation, it's not that said person is not identified as multiracial. They kind of, it depends on what the race is, but most of the time they're identified as they're either not identified or they're just, um, it's whatever that other, that other races. So for example, with me, most people would just be like, oh, she's Asian, you know, even though I look pretty ambiguous. And then Greg, who is also on the page, he is mixed black and white. He's Nigerian. His, his, uh, biological father's from Nigeria. Um, and he's also, I think he's like British and German or whatever. And, but he would be identified as just black if someone just saw him on the street, you know? So a lot of our, conversations tend to be around identity because so many mixed kids grow up having to figure out what that is in a society that's always trying to put you in a specific box. So it's, you know, that's one of the big things that we talk about on our page, you know, um, how do you love yourself? How do you, what was your journey like in terms of trying to figure out who you are as this multiracial person? Um, and what does that mean for your place in society? It's a, it's a lot of ongoing questions because, that those kind of conversations on such a large platform don't really exist. So we're hoping to change that. And uh, so, so what's uh, like your story? I mean, I read the article, but I mean, just like for the the listeners, I know like, so your, your dad came from Japan and your mother's like Welsh and yeah. German. So my dad, he born and raised in Tokyo, Japan. He's from an area called Ota and um, it's kind of near the station called Kamata. If there's anyone who's been to Japan, um, it's near like Haneda airport. And so my parents actually met in Japan because my mom was teaching English, but she wasn't teaching English to my dad. That's what you would think the story would be most people, but she also, she got like set up by one of her coworkers who knew my dad kind of, um, and ended up being really cool. Uh, my mom is, She's like German, Scottish, Welsh. Um, I actually just did a 23 and me. She's also like, you know, like British and Irish has a little bit of Irish and stuff like that. Um, but she looks super like German, like descendant of Scandinavian Viking. She's six feet tall. She's a big woman. She's blonde hair, blue eyes. Is that like enriching in a way to have like a different heritage? To have different cultures existing yeah. in your life. You know what? I think it is because I, but, you know, not every mixed kid grows up like this, but I grew up in a family that really celebrated that, you know, celebrated, like we celebrated every holiday, like Japanese holidays, German holidays, Scottish holidays. Like we have, we like had our own like traditional clothing because we're the Lindsay Tartan. Um, that's our Scottish Tartan. And, um, uh, you know, we had like later hosen and my mom used to make me like wear it to school sometimes. And like we had kimonos and things like that growing 
growing up. So we, and we had to, like, I know how to cook from all of those cultures. We ate all those kinds of foods. Uh, and, you know, my parents tried to keep us really informed and to keep us really proud of that. Uh, I think for my dad, though, he, he really, he comes from a, a, a culture, a country, and I guess just a continent where it's very homogenous in a lot of places. So, you know, marrying outside your race and like someone from another country and stuff like that is not as common as, as you would see in America. So if you go to Japan, it's not. And I remember I used to get severe culture shock when I was a kid because, you know, you grew up around so much diversity and I grew up, I live in like a blue state. There's so much like there's lots of Hispanic people here. There's lots of um, Islanders like Cape Verdean, Jamaican, Haitian. Um, there's lots of people from Africa, like all over, lots of West Africans, um, like Liberia, Nigeria. Um, a lot of my friends were super diverse. So my first time going to Japan when I was really, really young, I just remember thinking, wow, there's there's so many Japanese people here, which sounds like a crazy thing to say. But it's so it's just you go there and it's just you're looking out on a sea of just Asian people. So for my dad to really be open to veering off and like moving to another country, he was very, like, very different. Um, And like he changed his religion. He was a Buddhist. He changed. He converted to be a Lutheran because that's what my mom was. And um, yeah, so he always embraced us like being open to trying to get to know other kinds of people and being around other kinds of people. Um, and I think making sure that he, he made sure that we were aware of our different cultures and our different traditions and that he, he always told us to be proud of who we are and, you know, tried to help us not question our identities as much, um, which is not an experience that I find a lot of mixed children get. So um, I think my dad was really awesome in helping to build our confidence and building up who we are as people and, and to be was, outspoken uh, and all that. Was his family more traditional? Did they approve of uh, him marrying a non-Japanese person? You know, his parents, so my grandfather, he passed away, but my, my grandmother's still alive. And she's a deaf mute and his father was also a deaf mute. So they were already different because they had disabilities in the first place. Um, so I think that that upbringing for my dad helped him be more open to other kinds of people because he always had to think about how people had to understand him because he was very different. He didn't like for a, a beginning part of his life. Like he, he had to like his, his relatives told him, like told him he had to go to school at one point because he would like listen to people in Japanese, but he would always respond in sign language. And so he, I, I think he just grew up very different. Um, so his family was already technically like society wise, wasn't a traditional family, but value wise. Yes. Everyone in Japan is, can be very, I mean, generally is and very. Did, and did your mother come from Europe or is she, cause like, I know like a lot of, you know, people in the U S are from German or Scottish descent, but they don't celebrate like the German holidays and everything. So did she come like, is she originally from Europe and came here or is she like German American or Scottish American? 
No, she's European American, um, but her grandfather was the one who immigrated here. So you know, it's not too far off. But she she grew okay. up in a German community. Yeah, yeah, because I, I know like in uh, th- there was even a uh, like my grandfather, my dad's side, like he grew up in a like an area of a town in Texas, Fredericksburg, that at the time was only speaking German. Like there were there there were I don't know if there's so many communities like that now in the u.s but the, there was like a, a couple of generations ago was it your grandfather grew up there uh yeah my grandfather uh like his parents only spoke german uh, th- so my dad's father was like the first one to speak english even though they'd been there for generations because like in fredericksburg they only spoke did you know your relatives that lived there at the time that didn't know oh no i didn't know i didn't my, my dad knew them like uh oh, okay yeah, gotcha yeah. i didn't know if they were still around yeah, yeah. yeah. okay i know i know my mo- i right. knew my mother's parents though my mother's parents were like uh uh russian jewish heritage gotcha oh, that's cool. yeah and actually i have uh on my dad's side there's all on my dad's mother's side i have like a great grandfather was a uh, cherokee chief doublehead he was kind of like famous and stuff but mm-hmm gotcha yeah. And you said you said it's uh, in your your family it was different than other families. So like, how would you say it's for other mixed race people? Well, not everybody grows up with a parent who is f- directly from a completely different country. So my dad, you know, he's he was from Japan, so that directly changes how he moves within society already especially in a country he didn't grow up in. But if, like, for example, you know, we we get tons of people who write into us in our, like, inbox and, you know, just talking to mixed people that I know in general. If their parents don't always come from, and I I don't want to generalize because literally it's so different for everybody, but if your parents are technically both American and they've been here for a few generations, sometimes... I feel like they have more of a under because my dad didn't understand, doesn't under, really understand like racial power hierarchy in America. So when you've been here for a few generations and you've grown up here and stuff, your parents, some people have are mixed who have parents who fully understand that. And then some people, you know, are, are either adopted or, um, they grew up primarily with one side of their family, not the other side of their family. Uh, so that the situations can differ based off of that. It's entirely based on your upbringing, like most other people growing up, obviously. Um, but for us, we have this additional plight of having to navigate, you know, who we are in a society that's like, you know, what are you check off the box that you are, that sort of thing. So you're saying it's it's harder for people to have uh, if they had mixed race parents and then the parents didn't stay together. So if like they're together, then it's easier to have like a. Well, I think you you you. Well, I can you know I can speak solely from my experience. It's it's really hard to speak about other people's experiences, but I'm just saying in terms of other scenarios, I was lucky because I grew up already having to understand like why my father valued certain things and did things a certain way. And I had to understand why my mom valued completely different things and did things a certain way and kind of what that meant for them. And then what that meant for us as kids. So having to have that 
empathy and understanding for people who are technically different from you um, was, you know, easily led me to be able to float between different kinds of people and to feel to feel like I didn't have to worry about being accessible to them. So I had different kinds of friends growing up and, um, you know, fitting in, quote unquote, wasn't always, you know, something that I worried about. Um, and I think it was because I grew up having to understand different people and their families and again, why they value different things and did things differently. But if you are a mixed kid who grows up and you only, let's say you're mixed black and white and you only grow up with the black side of your family, you might not necessarily have that understanding of, and, and you don't, you know, have any contact with the white side of your family. You might not have that same understanding of them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you might have to face different things. So I know a lot of mixed black and white people, um, and I mean, a lot of mixed anything. There's just this, this, a lot of times you'll hear, oh, you're Asian, but you're not really. Or like, oh, you're black, but you're not really. Or you get kind of a lot of hate for being, being mixed with something else. And so I can feel, so I feel like the, for, you know, someone who is mixed that grows up in a family with just one side of their family that is monoracial, there can be certain issues that come up with that. That's probably one of the biggest things that I encounter. And, um, you know, the last couple of weeks ago or last week, I uh, posted something about how did you learn to love yourself? What kind of conversations did your parents have with you as a multiracial kid? And how did you learn to, you know, take that and you know, really, you know, own your identity and love yourself. And a lot of people in the comments were like, I never had these conversations or I didn't grow up with both, both sides of my family like that. So I got, I ended up with more negativity than understanding of different worlds than anything. And, you know, that rubs off in them trying to figure out their identity and who they are. So has that uh, been your experience with a lot of people like do you, that they want you to fit into one Group or the you know, I felt that way per, for a lot of my life just because, you know, growing up and I feel like every mixed kid kind of has like a timeline of how they identify. So growing up, I, I, I felt Japanese, like I felt super Japanese, you know, and um, I didn't necessarily understand that I didn't fully look like my dad, you know, but I also didn't fully look like my mom. Like I never thought about stuff like that because that wasn't conversations that my parents really had with us. Cause I don't feel like they felt like they needed to, but I, so I felt, I felt Japanese. And then I went through a period where I started realizing that people, if I, if we were like with, my mom like there's four of us there's four kids in my family one boy three girls and if we were with my mom people would be like oh like they would either say like what are your kids mixed with or uh like what people people would go up to my mom and say like just assume like she was babysitting us or i remember um people asking her, what country did you adopt them from? Um, and just like weird questions like that. And then I remember one time we went to the YMCA and my dad usually took us. 
So all the lifeguards knew us as like, those are, you know, Mr. Kano's kids. And my mom took us once and the lifeguard stopped her and asked her, like, what are you doing with these kids? Like, I know their father. Like, how do you know these kids? Um, and was kind of like questioning her about that, which, you know, I appreciate that man, but also she was like, they're my kids. Like I literally gave birth to them. Hmm. So, so kind of, uh, not seeing you as family, I guess, even though you were family, like, not, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember trying to figure out why that was. I didn't, I didn't fully get that because when you're a kid, you're not thinking about like, oh, well, dad's Asian and mom's white. Like, you're not thinking like that. Yeah. You're just, you're like, that's my mom and that's my dad. I don't understand what, what people aren't getting, you know? So then after that, I, when I got into like middle school, people would, that's when I really started to get a lot of the what are you's, which is a question that mixed people do not like to be asked because like, like you could just rephrase it. Like, what's your ethnicity? Not what are you? Because that's so broad and that's such a weird way to phrase it, I think. Yeah. I, I guess it, sh- it shouldn't um, really be the first thing you ask someone anyway, you know? Like, it more to be like, what are, what are yeah, you, like, into, like knowing about who you are more than like what your, eth- what your ethnic, but I guess that's, I guess, uh, that's, I guess, unfortunately, though, that's what a lot of people look at is what you're saying first. It's like someone's, yeah. 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 And I think it's because, you know, people, people just need to figure out how they're going to interact with you. So if they can't readily identify you, they just, it's like they need to identify you first before they can interact with you. And that's what I think it is. Um, but yeah, so then I started getting a lot of the what are you's and I, and I thought that was, and so again, it's this journey of trying to figure out like, what is this about? Cause I, people would be like, you know, what are you? And I'd be like, I'm Japanese. And they're like, okay, well, you look like they don't look Asian or, you know, they'd say they're like, or they'll look like, are you something else? You know, ask those kind of questions. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm also like German and Scottish and you know, whatever. And they'd be like, oh, okay. That like makes more sense. And you know, kind of say things like that. And it was, and I really, like, I just didn't like the way that that felt because I was just like, I don't understand because people don't go up to, like, you know, Jen and say, what are you? Like, you know, like, my friends who are monoracial and go, like, what yeah. are you? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I know there's worse things in the world, obviously, but I just always felt that that was, like, so strange. Yeah, um, I've, I've because, actually not liked a couple of times that people say, oh, you look Jewish. Like, well, what does that mean I look Jewish like and they're like oh the nose like even though I don't really have that like I don't know that, that a few times when people have said that to me that's kind of like why man you know it's just kinda, yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it's like weird because you're like what does that mean yeah so you know now I'm, I'm in a place where I'm like no I'm a multiracial and I love it you know and um I'm and I think I've since I finally got into that place in my timeline I'm that's why we're, you know, like on a mixed present, me and Greg, we're working on a project right now. It's not going to come out until next year, probably, but we're really, really excited. It's going to be something big. Um, but really, again, trying to grow and unify that platform for multiracial people, because we really just don't have that right now and don't have the conversations we need to be having and the representation we need to be having, um, you know, 
for one, a lot of pages that are quote unquote about being mixed are super, they just contribute to the fetishizing of mixed people. Um, you know, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, they look so exotic. They look so cool. And you know, that's all well and good, but you know, there's very real conversations that need to happen that accompany that as well. And a lot of mixed pages solely just do that. And the pages that are really trying not to do that, there's only a handful to be honest with you. And, you know, we, we're all kind of like in the mix and with mixed present, like we're all kind of in that community together, but um, we're trying to make something bigger and try to unify, trying to unify it a little bit more. And, you know, there's a lot of education that still needs to be ta- be done in terms of multiracial people. Cause the default for people when they think mixed is to think black and white. And which I know it sounds so crazy because it that's obviously you can be mixed with other things besides black and white, but a lot of people just really associate mixed people with those two races. Yeah. So that's another, another issue we're trying to tackle, you know, in terms of representation. Yeah. Well, when you see a lot of uh, Eurasian or like uh, white and Asian couples or like Eurasian, uh, that seems to be very common too. Like nowadays. Yeah, a little bit more. The Hapa community. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw, I saw a black and uh, Asian couple with their kids recently, and that that's like something I usually, you don't usually see very often. I, I mean, I know what happens. Blasians? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that could be a whole conversation on colorism, and, you know, um, that's, that's definitely very significant in the Asian community, unfortunately. Um, and also, I think... I mean, this could be a very in-depth convo. I'm just letting you know. But, you know, just there's – I don't know if you're familiar with colorism. That means – is that like a specific kind of racism or what is it? It's it's kind of like it, – I mean, it's very prominent in a lot. I mean, I mean, obviously white people don't really have it well because they're – that's another question. That's another topic, but okay. um, it's within communities being lighter within a community. So like this is big in the Hispanic community. This is big in the Asian community. It's having lighter colored skin is considered more beautiful than having darker skin. Okay. So really, so a lot of brown Asians, you know, you know, that this is a, Another issue that I'm really hoping to talk about a little bit more and um, because I'm, I'm East Asian, I'm also mixed white. I feel almost, you know, that I shouldn't be leading the charge on that. And I don't feel like I am, but um, I mean, I definitely want to have like have open up the conversation more for it, but the representation for Brown Asians is, is if, Asian representation is an existent brown Asian representation is non-existent. And, you know, that's do a lot to colorism. And I think when we talk about Blasians who are black and Asian, you know, colorism can play into that as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's where basically you're considered more beautiful because you have lighter colored skin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read, uh, that in India that happens a bit, uh, that the, dark, the, people oh, yeah. dark, the people with darker skin are looked down on by people with lighter skin there. I, I wonder what, why that is. So, like, If you had tan skin, it was like, it was because, you know, you were out working in the rice paddies or, you know, all day. 
you know, you're working, you're poor, you're, you know, it, it's associated, I think, a lot with that. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's a class thing. That they that... Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to Asians, at least in the Western world and in America, I'm going to speak about just specifically in America, a lot of Asians tend to stay within groups with each other. So that's why you have a lot of, you know, areas where there's heavy populations of Asians and then areas where there's not. Um, I remember I asked my dad if there was like a Japantown near where we live now, you know, would he have wanted to live there? And he was like, no, absolutely not. And I asked him why. And he said, it's because a lot of Asians come to this country and they, they move into towns like that and they never make an effort to get to know other kinds of people. So they don't know how to be with other kinds of people. Okay. Cause they have a very like specific culture they share and everything, and they don't really understand people from other cultures. Like, it's very yeah, traditional, and, yeah. Yeah, and I find in Japan, this happens, this is a very big problem for, in Japan, um, if you're mixed Japanese, you would be called hafu, which means half Japanese. It's just a shortened version of that. <laughs> and the hafu community there is very, you experience a very specific kind of, um, I don't want, it's hard to say racism, but it's, it's kind of like that where you are very fetishized for the way that you look, especially if you're mixed Japanese and white. Um, but you are not treated like you were Japanese. Hmm. And, you know, that can be very difficult for someone who's, who's like, I mean, I grew up primarily in America. I do have citizenship in Japan, though, so I feel like I, and, and you know, I feel Japanese. Um, but, you know, every time I go there, it's like, you know, I remember I was with my dad and his friends um, on this last trip. I usually go, like, once a year because I got to see my grandma and stuff. And we were out at dinner, and, you know, they didn't, they obviously didn't really speak English, but, you know, I'd be talking to them and they'd be like, oh, you're like so good with chopsticks or like just amazed that I could read the menu or um, they're like, oh, like you're so, I would ask a question and they'd be like, oh, you're so pretty. You're so cute. And let's just kind of leave it at that. And that would be really, or they'd be like, oh, your Japanese is so good. And, you know, that's like, that would. That, I think, is problematic because <laughs> when they said I was good with chopsticks, I literally, I just responded, I'm Japanese. <laughs> so I don't, like, that's such a weird thing to say. Yeah. But because, but one of the biggest things is, you know, there specifically, they don't really talk about their emotions. They don't talk about their experiences. They don't do what we're doing right now. So they, you know, it's, it's a society very much based on, making sure they're not offending or making someone feel uncomfortable or revealing too much, no oversharing. And so I guess, uh, a big thing is like talking to people with like different experiences than your own is like how people learn. And yeah, but people, people get that and also don't get that at the same time. So, you know, the only way, like the best way to learn empathy and to learn, essentially how to put yourselves in other people's shoes and to understand what, what it is that they're saying 
you have to make an effort to get, like, really get to know other kinds of people. You know, not just have one token black friend. Like, you really literally have to try to understand and educate yourself. And that's something that I I feel like people don't do as often as they should. I think that we, as a country, um, are more advanced, obviously, than Japan in that regard. But um, I, I, I feel like, you know, we just have such a long way to go with that. And a lot of times it's because people have their own things going on and they, you know, I understand it. So it's very hard for them to do that. But I think one thing that I feel blessed as a mixed person to understand and know is that you have to try to understand other kinds of people or, and I've been doing that my whole life. I've had to do that my whole life with my parents um, and their families. So it's, it's, it's a part of who I am now. So so do you think it, uh, does it change, like, depending on the part of the world? Does, like, Japan have a different systemic racism, or does it, like, are you, like in America, oh. it's a different, yeah. Yes. Oh, God. Japan, because, you know, they don't have conversations. I mean, not to say that they don't happen. They do happen. But, again, I told you, my dad didn't know what being gay was was until he started dating my mom in his 20s. So it's very, Japan is very behind, very, very sexist. And I know America is sexist, but Japan is very sexist. And, um, you know, um, there was a hashtag that came out last year. I forget what it was, but basically it was about women sharing a lot of their stories of sexism in the workplace. And as this double-edged sword of, you know, being forced to resign because your boss calls you in and is like, well, you know, you're going to have to resign because you, because you're going to probably want to have kids and, um, you know, we, we need to fill your position or whatever. And if someone says that they don't want to have kids, that's considered dishonorable in that society still a little bit. And they're, they're like, oh, well, you don't want to have kids. Like that's dishonorable. Like what kind of woman are you? Like, and you're made to feel bad and then you have to resign. Like there's so many situations like that. And, you know, that's just one example, but you know, that was last year. People were starting to come forward and say things like that. And it's not to say that people weren't vocal before, but it's not like it is here where people really, really speak out. And we have the women's marches and we have women in political offices. And, you know, we have women that are really trying to use their voice and be heard. You know, they have women like that there, but it's so, it's so concentrated and it's so different than what it is here. And it's because those conversations haven't really happened as much as the, as they needed to happen. So it's, it is very different there. And like I said, my experience as a Hafu in Japan is, is different as well because you're super fetishized. Like they sell Hafu makeup to make like full Japanese people look mixed. It's really weird. Mm. Um, but you know, you're super fetishized. But then also you're not seen as Japanese. You're not seen as a member of that community. And in Japan, being a part of the group is one of the most important things, like one of the most important things you're taught growing up. Like um, they have a saying, the nail that gets that sticks out gets hit with the hammer. Like don't don't stand out. Don't be different. Like it's about the group and it's about us as a group. It's not about individuality. And is, isn't there a, 
there's also is there also there's also like prejudice towards like other Asian groups like Koreans or Chinese mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Yeah, my dad. Um, if you look, I did the twenty three and Me, um, and if you look at my results, I have Korean, Mongolian, Manchurian, and then like Native American. Like before they migrated to the Americas, like the indigenous Ameri- uh, Native American um, from Asia. And my dad says he got bullied a lot when he was younger because people told him he looked Korean. Hmm. And, it, you know, the history of just Japan itself, like just within my blood, you can see, you know, the colonization history of Japan. But my, 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 my dad used to get bullied a lot for that. You know, there was a lot of um, looking down on other groups. Okay. Um, but that, that that's what it is there because, you know, for a long time, all they had over there was Asians, really. They don't really have, they didn't have, you know, really white people or black people that they saw like that. Well, it's kind of like how that, they, they but, used to have tensions between, like, uh, Irish, like, people were prejudiced towards Irish people many years ago here. Or, like, different white groups didn't get along here sometimes. So, like, Italians, I know, also had trouble when they first got here. Like, when there's no one else to be prejudiced towards. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, yeah, I think that that's a good way to put it. Like, anyone who's different from you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I know, like, uh, like Hitler was also against, like, Slavic people, too. Like, uh, Russians and, um, like, I, even other white groups he didn't think were, like, fully Aryan or whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it is, you know, just like what you said about, like, if there's no one else to be prejudiced, you will find some. And all it really is is just needing to feel like you are better than someone. And James Baldwin, who I love, he's one of my favorite, like, people of history to ever exist. He, he one of the questions that he posed on TV was why, why was it important for white people to to look at black people the way I'm paraphrasing it, but to look at black people the way that they did, why did they need to do that? And he said one of the biggest reasons why they won't address the question of, you know, why they why black people can't have the same standing in society as white people at that time. I mean, I guess even now. Um, the, they won't address that question because they have to address in the first place why it was important for them to have somebody to look down upon like that. Hmm. And right. I think that, that 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 is a very important question for all civilizations to to really assess. Like, why was it important to feel better than other people? Or I guess, like, yeah, and I guess, like, maybe if somebody's, like, uh, I mean, this would just be an example because I know a, a certain relative of mine uh, uh, on my dad's. I know he was uh, my dad's father. I know was racist because uh, like he was super uh, poor and everything. And I guess that was his way of thinking. You know, I'm poor, but at least I'm better than somebody else. And, yeah, like yeah. there could always be a worse, and the worse is this other group of people. You know, but and and you know that honestly. I find that 
when people do things that are problematic or think things that are problematic, they know that it's problematic, but they won't say it out loud. So I think that that mentality was very common amongst people um, because, you know, they're facing their own struggle and maybe they're facing their own sort of acceptance issues from other groups of people or other family members or whatever it is. And so that frustration has to come out in some way, you know, and sometimes it comes out towards people, a certain kind of people, you know? And I, I was kind of thinking about that, uh, what Liam Neeson said. I mean, he was going a bit overboard because he was saying like he was looking, that, that was kind of creepy. He was talking about like he was looking to actually hunt someone down. And, oh, yeah. And do, but, yeah, yeah. Was, but I was thinking like it, it, maybe that, you know, there's probably all kinds of other people who've had thoughts like that that just don't admit it. So maybe in a way that kind of started an important conversation that like maybe there's, you know, there's a lot of that that we don't even know other people have like hateful thoughts like that. I mean, he was saying he got beyond it, but the way he talked about it was kind of weird everything. So I don't, I, I mean, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what I think of him after that, but I, I think that is like an important conversation to have that like a lot of people, maybe there's a lot of, you know, people could have thoughts like that. And you don't even know kind of, that makes sense. 100%. And maybe you don't, Maybe you don't know it because you're not hearing it out loud, but there's vibes and there's energy that you can pick up 100%. And I think that if anyone's good at reading a vibe or reading an energy, a lot of times it ends up being a person who has felt, who has been on the receiving end of that hate and, you know, has, has, has had to have that conversation of why is this happening? What is this about? And really trying to explore that. Um, but I think uh, what it, it is, like what you and I talked about, it just boils down to why do you, uh, sometimes people just need to feel better about their situations or feel better about themselves. And so maybe that hate and that frustration gets taken out on another group because at least you're not that. It could be worse and it, you could be that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess that... Uh, we just solve racism, Sean? What? Uh, maybe we did. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> On the BSing with Sean K. Wait, but, uh, yeah, we just had to get 9 billion people to go along with the, uh, understand that, I guess. That's the next. Oh, one. God. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what the struggle is. That's really what the yeah. struggle is. I feel like you're about to get hit with the not all white people, not all men, men stuff. <laughs> Oh really? I, I didn't I didn't even say anything that was like that. I was not you, but <laughs> you're a party to this conversation, Sean. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're letting me spew my quote unquote divisive statements that are true. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of what I like to do, you know, bring the person out and like actually get to the core of what they're saying and what they believe and everything. Yeah. Yeah, because I I don't like like the overly like the way they edit interviews on TV and like take a snippet of something someone said, like out of context. Like I, I want to actually understand what the person's saying and mm-hmm. why they sent that. And, uh, like I, that's, I, I like media. I like shows that are more like long form, I guess, conversation too. Like I like that interviewing style more than. Yeah. Yeah. To really get the full context of everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and another thing I hate that, like, reporters do on TV is, like, oh, so you don't think that, like, they ask a leading question or something. Like, I don't know, you might see, like, 
Well, Bill O'Reilly's not on TV anymore, but he'll say something like, so you don't think that's true. Thank God. So you don't think that. Like, I, I just hate, like, the leading questions. Like, oh, so you're saying this rather than listening. And then they just scream over the person, ah, you sounded like an idiot. You're this and that. And it's just, I don't know. It's just like being yeah. a prop- propagandist. Like, even if, it, even if it's someone yeah. I agree with doing something like that, I don't like them being dishonest. Like, you don't have to be dishonest to, to prove your point. Yeah, and I think, again, it goes back to that point of you need to take the time to really have the conversations with people and really listen to them. And I think, you know, that's one thing I've been, you know, in the last, in the, even in the last year or so, I really, I don't necessarily associate myself with one political party. I mean, I, I, there's things that I agree with in certain parties and things that I don't, but I think it's important when you talk to people don't ask what they are, like, what are they voting? What do, what do they affiliate themselves with? Because there's all these new labels out nowadays, and I'm just like, okay, let's just break it down. We're going to talk about the issues, and you tell me where you stand on them and why, and I'll tell you where I stand on them and why. And you find that there's there's people that maybe are affiliated with a certain political party, but they have they can have liberal views or they can have conservative views. It, it, it depends on – it can de- – like, there's not one party that literally fits one person, you know? Well, I th- and I, I think the, I think the biggest example of that is when people are fiscally conservative. Like, they, they're more, like, pro-capitalist, I guess, but they support, like, gay rights. And I guess libertarian, but uh, Ron Paul is a little bit more conservative about gays because he's religious and everything. But, like, Gary Johnson and stuff, like, supports gay marriage and... You know, a woman's right to choose that kind of thing, but he's mm-hmm. fisc- but he's fiscally conservative. Like he supports uh, like free markets and stuff like that. Well, what what are your political beliefs? You're like more, I guess, uh, left wing. I'm guessing, right? Like, I guess that's kind of yeah. I guess that's kind of. I mean, yeah. Like I support like universal health care stuff like that. Like, I, I mean, I'm not a big expert on economics. It's not my best like topic. I'm trying to understand it better and stuff, but. I, th- I think well, like more like civil liberties and social issues is what I'm better at talking about, and uh, kind of like non-interventionist, like I- I'm not really into America being like the police of the world kind of thing. But economics, oh, me yeah. neither. <laughs> yeah, but economic stuff I'm not that good at. Like I'm not that knowledgeable about. I, I do like the idea of everybody should have health care, um, and like affordable education stuff like that. But, well, you know, I think the the craziest thing to me is we don't we we only people in this country only seem to want to talk about the lack of money when it comes to things that make people better. So, you know, when it comes to actually talking about the quote unquote American dream, like getting getting a good education that is affordable, you know, free health universal health care. You know, like people, that's when everybody wants to bring up money. But we have, in, as a country, made the money thing work for the military and for, you know, for certain for certain other things. Why can't we make it work? Why does it have to be this huge question when it comes to making people's lives better? Because it doesn't make anybody rich to make people's lives better. That's probably what it is. It's not... Profitable. Well, yeah. 
It's not profitable for certain people, but it's yeah. profitable for the majority of yeah. people. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, the people with the power and the uh, the influence, it doesn't make anybody with influence. Uh, it's not profitable to people that actually like have power. I guess if that makes sense. They they only care. I'm not, I'm saying that's like that's not a good thing, but I think that's why there's trouble yeah. with stuff like that. Like there's yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of businesses that profit off war, like. Mm-hmm. And actually, probably the healthcare industry profits more off people being sick and like having cancer and dying and stuff than they would off people getting well. So, one hundred percent. That's why there's no cures for anything. <laughs> yeah, and I think the one guy who cured uh, polio actually offered it for free. The polio vaccine. He didn't even patent it. He said, "Would you patent the sun? Like, why would I patent something that everybody needs?" Yeah, and. It's just so interesting, like, you know, and I think, I think that's the thing when it comes to, when, when it comes to, I guess, you know, we can't even talk about, we can't even talk about economics, like it's a separate thing from politics, you know, because they're, they're very interconnected, you know, um, and I think that we have a lot of laws that do not, keep them separated like they should be so we can be actually servicing the people of this country the way they need to be serviced like as you know represent like representatives need to be doing it you know um we don't really have any laws about being fully funded by you know by like let's say yeah and like you know fully you know funded by all these corporate PACs, you know, whether it's fossil fuel or um, big pharma or whatever it is, there's no laws that keep me from getting, from writing laws for those industries or from me buying stocks within those industries and maybe deregulating them somehow so I could get rich. Or there's really, there's a lot of corruption so people can just have money. And I think, think that that's where this whole idea of like capitalism is really failing people because not everybody has that power, you know? So when you think about corporations thinking about who they're going to benefit from, they're not going to benefit from the average Joe who can't write them a deregulation and try to get, get it passed, you know? Yeah. That's what, well, that's what I kind of wondered, like if we should have like, a volunteer Congress or like, I don't know, maybe like public funded elections or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how you stop though, the bribing and stuff like, yeah. Like even, even if you, even if you pass a law, like that, I guess that's, I guess that's like, and I, and I, and I, I agree more with you that I think that like just leaving it totally unregulated and stuff like that kind of just lets them do whatever they want. But I guess the other side, I guess with like the libertarians, say is like they're against that too but they seem to think that, that they don't really think that i guess you can trust the government to solve that problem like because then the government is corrupt too they like or how do you trust the government to do that but i don't know 100 percent, and that's where we go round and around with everybody in these conversations because what is the solution you yeah. know i'm not a politician um i don't know if i could ever be because i, I find politicians have to compromise on certain things and i'm i don't know if you can tell by the way that i'm talking but i don't compromise on my the way that i feel about things you know 
So, so wh- how do you solve that problem? That's a very, it's it's a very big question. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, I mean, you're never going to fully rid the corruption, but how do you limit it or yeah. influence it to go away, you know? I guess, like, a balance of power, like, one, like, the government keeping certain things in check, and then, like, I don't know, like, then the people and, like, maybe certain, like, free enterprises keeping the government in check, and then they kind of balance each other out, but even with that, like, that's ideally what we're supposed to have now, but even that, like, there's there's still corruption even with that, so it's hard to say. <laughs> Yeah, it's literally, it's just, and, you know, supposedly people in Congress, they have an ethics committee, uh, certain things that they need to, certain, certain things that they can't do. Um, the president doesn't really have any, but, um, even then, I mean, is that really pushing back on the things that we're trying to limit or is it just, you know, kind of there for show, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's it's a lot to, to to consider, but I don't know. I mean, I know we just solved racism, but I don't know how we're gonna solve this one, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to take like a whole course in economics and like read. I'm trying to read like different. Uh, I, I've been reading like more like I'm trying to read like more like uh, like more like Marxist ec- econo- economists and then more like free market economists. Like read both sides of that kind of thing and trying to understand mm-hmm. it. Like the one conservative economist I was reading, because he he even though I, I you know I, I I mean he's more he's fiscally conservative he's not like social but uh what's his name Thomas Powell uh like mm-hmm. I I just like the he just knows his stuff like about economics whether or not I agree with him so I was reading like I was listening to the audio book of his basic economics and he kind of like breaks it down like how everything works of course like he he doesn't seem to think that. Uh, like a government program or a centralized program can ever solve anything, but I just don't think that's true because there's been like, you know, like the civil rights movement and other things that couldn't have really been done if the government didn't step in. And, but the, I mean, I, I know like, I know like, like there's some conservatives say, Oh, well that's because, you know, individuals decided they wanted to be more welcoming in their business. But if the, there wasn't a law saying they can't discriminate towards these people, then that never would have happened that they're, allowed in these certain businesses to eat or whatever like if, you, if you're doing something with your business that infringes on the rights of other people then you, you shouldn't be allowed to do that like, yeah um and again now we're getting into you know uh it's so hard to talk about social justice issues separate from politics and separate from the economy because it's all literally combined um but um, I, I think when it comes to economics, I mean, I, I don't – it's hard. Again, with me, I'm not about, like, specific labels because there's things that I don't always love from different kinds. But – and, again, it's like politics. It's just, it, I don't affiliate, I guess, fully with, cert, with a party because there's things that I don't always agree with. And I think that that's very – that's probably more common than people like to think. Um, but – Again, it's a, like sitting down, like, let's talk about the things that you don't agree with and why you don't agree with them. Why don't you agree with universal health care? Why, you know, and, and really going back and forth on that and having those conversations. Sometimes if you talk to people uh, about these issues, 
like. They 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 kind of they want the same things. They just think there's different ways to solve. As far as economics, like they they want they don't want people to you know be. Someone could think they could want like healthcare to be more affordable. They just think that whether or not you agree, they might think that oh a more free market approach to that would bring more affordable healthcare. And then they they might want healthcare to be more affordable, but they just don't think that universal health care would be the solution to that and then you can talk about well i think it would solve this and then they they might they'll bring out their ideas like you might you might be on the page and same page in any in certain ways even if you're not you don't agree with the same way of implementing the same thing if, if the way 100 percent, yeah. everything you just said 100 percent. and in my conversations i've had with people where i'm like okay don't let's not label this Tell me specifically where you stand on issues and, and tell me why. A lot of people agree exactly what you said. We're just focusing on different aspects of that. But overall, we agree on an outcome. We're just focused on maybe you're focused on this minor detail and I'm focused on this minor detail. But essentially, when you have these conversations, you end up working that stuff out and really seeing like, okay, well, I guess... I didn't think about this particular thing that could happen within that. And you're really opening up, they're opening up maybe from their perspective to you and you're maybe you didn't think of what they were saying and you're doing the same thing for them. And that's what happens when we have legitimate, genuine conversations about like really wanting to talk about it. And I feel like that's what politicians aren't doing essentially. you know, we have these debates when we're, that we watch when we're trying to pick candidates for office and stuff like that, but they're not really sitting down and talking and genuinely talking about where they stand on certain circumstances and certain issues. They're just kind of overarchingly speaking about things and trying to make this, make it entertaining, but they're not really getting anywhere. And I feel like that's why the country hasn't really gotten far in some regards on certain on certain topics because people aren't having those authentic genuine conversations where we're like listen let's really sit down and talk about this well i think that's a terrific note to end the episode on uh, that's really what i'm trying to do with my show is to have in-depth meaningful conversations with people not anything agenda driven or trying to make the other person look bad or but anyway, um, that about does it for today's episode of BSing with Sean K. Uh, I think you all know how to find me, seeing as you're listening to this. But uh, yeah, that's about it, and I'll catch you on the next one. BSing with who? BSing with what? BSing with Sean.